When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we finish up our conversation with Jeremy Moore. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 232. Welcome to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Today, we're going to conclude our conversation with Jeremy Moore with some more setter talk, and we'll get to that in just a minute, right after we thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast, those of you out there making voluntary contributions to the show to keep these great conversations coming your way. Those patrons are eligible for bonus content and episodes, Patreon giveaways, and we send out some Birdshot Podcast hand coolers and stickers as a little thank you as well. You can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. All right, today we're going to conclude our conversation with Jeremy Moore, part two of our discussion on English setters and some of the trials and tribulations of Jeremy's first pointing dog. So let's finish up this discussion and welcome into the conversation and back to the Birdshot Podcast, Jeremy Moore. Well, kind of focus in on the setter because the biggest thing for me is I know how I was kind of first bird having like no experience you're getting your first pointing dog but you've obviously got this sort of wealth of experience with the labs and and just in a in a much different place than somebody like myself but I want to know like as you were looking ahead to getting a pointing dog like what were those things that whether they turned out to be true or not what were those things that you were concerned about or thinking, okay, I've got to, I've got to go through this, this, and this, which I haven't done before when it comes to pointing dogs. Yeah. The, 
the biggest thing for me, I think, was what I was told, and, and this is part of it too, was you got to really, you got to really start. I had to really sift through, you know, listen to, but understand that like nothing's gospel. So like I read a lot of books. I watched a lot of videos. I, I really dove into trying to be more of a student because with labs, it's, it's reflex now. It's, you do it long enough. You just, mm -hmm. man, I'm so, I'm so, I'm just so comfortable with everything. I, I have no concerns whatsoever. I was tense leading up to getting this puppy of how do I prepare? What do I study? How do I study enough? Who can I watch? Who can I observe? Who can I talk to create all these little phone a friend type things where I got all these little outs to people that when I run into these issues, well, you start thinking yourself, you start, you start getting into it like that. If you, if you don't have, and I ran into it where I overthought everything. And then I found myself like not doing something because I was overthinking it. And I, I totally understand what people feel when they, when they send messages to me and they're struggling with their dogs because I was doing, I was feeling the same way. So foundation stuff was a bit of big concern to me only because I was really left with the impression of don't do it with these dogs. You wreck them. You got to build this fire in them and you got to get these dogs bird crazy and like and all this, all this bullshit. And I'm sitting here going, man, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like I bought a dog that I think is probably bred like as well as you're going to, as I'm going to find as far as like bird finding mm -hmm. and the idea of natural point and all this stuff. And so uh, I had to like really kind of start questioning that. But I, I, I feel like the biggest thing that I think personally was a difference. So, so I, I heard that, but I, I just didn't, didn't buy into it. And I, I, from the very beginning said, if, if I could just jump in and just clarify a little bit, like, cause I think I know what you're saying. It's basically with a young pointing dog, don't overdo the heel obedience, that stuff yeah. for fear of taking out that drive. Is that correct? Right. Don't put too much control. Don't, you don't, 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 not so much control. And I think control is like discipline and discipline is like obedience and obedience is like the heel and the re, you know, all the foundational stuff. Like, no. and so when I, when I say it's that, it's like, that's what some people's minds go to when you mm -hmm. say those words. Cause I think we all have a little bit different definition of what foundation is. We all have a little bit different definition of what discipline is. We all have a little. So like you have to be careful when you start that vocabulary going, because if you listen to one person say it and you have an understanding of, well, those words mean this, this, and this, and that's all you listen to, then you might be totally missing it. Cause the person that said it might not be meaning what you're actually like understanding it as. Yeah. So I, I think part of the problem was when I would talk to people and when, and I just think it was great because people were more than willing to share their opinions. Like they were more than willing to share their thoughts with me on it. And so when they would say, you can't do the stuff, the discipline, you can't do the foundation, you can't do all the, the control stuff that you do with these labs, you'll wreck that puppy. I think part of the issue was how they thought I got the control with my labs. I think they didn't understand necessarily that I don't put a whole lot of pressure on my dogs. Like from, from a training perspective, in my opinion, I'm not real big on pressure. Like I think you need pressure and praise. I think that's important. I think that's how they learn. But I don't think it means you have to like be really hard. 
with them physically. I don't mm-hmm. use sho- I don't use e collars and shock collars. So I don't know anybody that I've talked with about this that didn't realize that I train all my labs without one. Never never owned one. Never used one. So when I said to them that I'm going to do that with the pointing dog, they really thought I was speaking a different language. And I think what they thought was when you start talking about doing this control, discipline, foundation, obedience, whatever word you want to use it all in my mind, it's the idea of having a, having a well-disciplined dog or an obedient dog. I think they thought in order to do that, you're going to have to put a whole bunch of pressure on the dog. And I do think you can kind of take their spirit away a little bit if you're too hard on them. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't think that's any different with a retriever. And that's what I look at it as, well, I'm not, I'm not doing it that way. And I think once people realize he gets his dogs to heal really well off lead, like I, I want her to heal well because, because now it's looking at, well, what is my purpose with this dog? I'm going to bird hunt with her for three months out of the year for nine months out of the year. She's our family dog. She lives in our house. She goes to every trip with us. She's doing all this stuff. And I, so I'm not just putting her in a kennel at the end of the season and taking her back out in August to tune her up. So, and that's, I would say the majority of your listeners probably are in the same boat. Like very few people, unless you're an outfitter, I suppose, have dogs that at such volume that you just, you don't, you don't use them in everyday type stuff. So for me, in order for me to truly enjoy them, I have to have all this stuff. So I got the puppy healing, you know, I'm, I'm working with her on all, a lot of this real basic foundation stuff, heal, sit. I, I didn't teach her to sit. I taught her to stop. That's one thing that, you know, that's the old wives tale. Don't teach yep. her. I feel like, are you, I feel like, man, if you are afraid that your dog's going to sit because, because of you've taught it to sit, I look at it and I go, well, how did you teach it to sit? It's only going to sit under pressure. If you're putting so much pressure on it. So when the dog goes to a bird and goes on point, the last thing on my dog's mind is me. That dog's mm-hmm. on the bird, and I just don't see if the dog sits because it feels too much pressure. You put way too much pressure on. It. Has nothing to do with the idea of teaching the dog to sit. I didn't not teach her to sit because of that. I didn't teach her to sit because it's this idea of take what they give you. She didn't like to sit. Yeah, and I didn't really give a damn if she sat because what did it get benefit me to have a dog to sit? It didn't. The only thing that I get out of a dog that sits is stationary, n- no movement. So what I decided at that point was I started to work with her on sit and it didn't come to her very naturally. She just didn't sit. And when she did, she looked awkward. Her legs looked (laughs) funny. She didn't sit real comfortably. I've seen the dog sit probably a dozen times in her life. It's not very often. So, but what she would do, and I told Jerry this right away because I said, man, this is, I don't know what's going on here. She would stop and stand a lot. And, and like not, I didn't feel, I didn't sense from her that she was going to move. So I, I decided at that point, well, I'm not going to teach her to sit. I'm just going to teach her to stand, just stand there. You don't, as long as you're not moving, that's what I'm after. I'm after stationary. So that's control that had nothing to do with bird stuff. That was just, Hey, I need the dogs to stop for a second. So that was one of the things that I decided, well, that's how I'll do this. Now, if I had a setter come in that liked to sit all the time, my buddy Chris's dog sits all the time. He sits really well. He looks really natural. So he taught his dog when he would stop on heel to sit. He does it really well and he does it not. I'd probably do that if I was him. But it just didn't didn't seem like the thing to do for her. So I think I really, I didn't shy away from foundation. She very, she saw very few birds. Like 
um, like for training. You know, I, I did do some like introduction to a, a pigeon. Yep. Um, I talked to Ethan Pippett about it. He does this thing he calls, I think he calls it positive pigeons. And we, it ba- I basically just pulled a pigeon out of my bag and let her see it. And all of a sudden that unlocked her point because bam, she'd start pointing and she looked awesome. I got some super cool videos of it. We did it twice. Um, three, three pigeons, two times. So that's six pigeons. And she did it probably at a bit about five months old. I did it at a workshop. We did, we did a training workshop and I did it at a workshop in front of people that were at the workshop to show them, Hey, I'm going to do this for the first time. Let's all do it together. Let's all kind of watch it. And so, um, I was learning as they, as everyone else. And we filmed it and we kind of we have that in like in our training library. So people can see all that stuff. I think that's the stuff that I couldn't find. That was, you know, I could find edited videos about mm-hmm. training. I could find books that were written well, but the, they, they deliver one message. And I don't think it's a one message thing, training a dog. So, yep. so, the, so we did, we did some of that to bring out some early point, but that's about all I, and I would, you know, from that she would point it and then I'd throw the bird, she'd chase it. And that allowed me probably a little bit of a gateway to the next point, which allowed me to introduce gunfire to her. Cause we, we used that drill basically to, to introduce gunfire. I was letting her chase birds and yep. shooting the gun and, and that worked really well. So all that stuff was, you know, all kind of, it, it made sense, but that was like the, that was what I would call like the field more like directed towards the hunting type stuff. That was all I did then. I did a lot of foundational stuff, heel, recall, um, place training. I place trained her from day one. And Jerry, I think was, Jerry had questions about that. You know, he <laughs> called me right away because I posted a video of this little puppy in our living room and my daughter's running. My four-year-old daughter at the time was two. She's running around the puppy and the puppy's staying on her place. And, and I think people thought I had an electric fence on the thing because they couldn't believe you could do that with a puppy, much less a setter. That's yeah. what other people told me was you'll never be able to place train your dog like you do your labs. I think she was easier to place train. I think the difference is, is like how I did it. I place training is not a command that I use to like, it's not a target. It's not an objective where I send dogs to it. Some people use that in that way. I get it. It's not a function for me. I don't, I don't need that. I don't, I don't need a dog to, to come back to retrieve and go to a place. Cause I feel like you're teaching the dog to go to a place. I want the dog to come back to me. So I don't use it for that reason, but I use it for like, she's on one right now. Sit, sit still. Safe, yeah. You got a safe spot. Like that's where you can go. It's, it's an alternative to being in your crate. So she's in, she's on one right now next to me. So like I, from day one, my puppies don't come off their place. When I put them on place, they stay on their place. Like they're not allowed. If they step off, they get corrected. If they step off, they get corrected. And by the third correction, they're so smart, they realize I'm not allowed to step off of here. So I could put her on this place in the middle of the city, and I I, I feel comfortable. I could come back in a couple hours. She wouldn't be off of it. Mm. Unless someone came over and picked her up and took her, she's not coming off of it. And But the reason is because I've never given her the opportunity to think it's okay to come off. And so what I don't put a kennel, like if I had a kennel run, which I don't, but like in the house, my dogs don't, she's not able to walk around the house and get up on her bed when she wants and then get off of her bed when she wants. She's not in a kennel where she can go lay on the bed and then get off of it at her will. No, it's a, you're on the place, you're on the place. Hmm. I come and get you. 
I either pick you up when you're little or I heal you off when you're a little bit bigger. But she, to this day, I never let her choose. You get to come on, on and off whenever you want. So like that was something that people said, you'll never be able to do that with a setter. And it was the easiest thing in the world, but it's because of how and why, why I was doing it. And so, you know, retrieving stuff with her, she retrieved like a lab in the house. Uh, outside was a different story. You know, yeah. she had this idea of like freedom and wanted to run off and stuff. So what did I do? I took away those opportunities. I didn't work with her on retrieving outside. Um, retrieving wasn't a real important thing for me with her early on. And so I didn't put a lot of emphasis on it. She's coming along, coming around with it actually pretty nice now. And I actually, and I think that that's another example of like, they'll tell you when it's time. You know, so I could have tried to force the retrieve with her early on to be shaped the way I wanted it, but I would have been really fighting it and I didn't need to. I heal my labs in the woods with me all the time and they make the retrieves. I'm lucky that way. So, but now all of a sudden she's showing me that she would like to bring it back to me because she'd like me to throw it again for her. So I let her tell me when, when she's ready to kind of do it that way. And so now I'm still not even focused on it because I'm in the process right now of trying to take away her chase. Like we're, we're kind of, we're just, you know, we're, we're in the middle of it, I would say right now, but um, we're kind of steadying her up to the floor. Is flush. she like 18 months right now? A year and a half? Well, well, she'll be, her birthday is November. I think it's November 7th, either November 7th or November 12th. So what does that put her? She's she, August. She would, she would be two in November. You're saying? Yeah. So she's 20, 21 months, 20, yeah, 20 okay. months right now. So, so, but like, so that was, I did put a lot of emphasis on foundation and man, I've got a really nice dog, like just a really nice family dog. If yeah. she never, if she never hunted, she'd make someone super happy. Like Jerry and I have joked about, she's the, she's and some of his dogs are, they're the British lab equivalents of a setter. Like they, <laughs> they could be a hell of a family dog, you know, but they, got this ability to, to hunt like crazy as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do think, I do believe that, but that's, so I, I wasn't crazy. I, I took her on a lot of puppy walks. I took her in the woods um, more, more for myself probably than anything. I, I worried about it. I worried about it like crazy when she was little. Um, as soon as she'd get out of sight, I'm, I'm Mr. Panic, you know, cause I'm not used to, allowing much less encouraging a dog to get out. I don't, I didn't want that. And I thought, man, I know what she's capable of when she gets bigger. So I kind of fought myself on the idea of letting her run. And if I did it again today, I wouldn't, I would have zero concern of it. Let her go, let her do whatever she wants. Let her go. She's not, she's coming back is. And I think part of the reason she's coming back is because of all the stuff we did in the yard, all the stuff we did that people say you shouldn't do with foundation, I think is what really makes our connection so strong and so, so good in the woods. I have zero concern with her running off. Um, I, I don't know that I have to run her on a GPS. I put her on a GPS collar at a certain point, but it was only because I was running into a little bit of an issue with her. She's, I didn't even, I wasn't running a bell on her. She was silent mm-hmm. in the woods and we're going through, and she, you know, this was at a point when she was getting a little bit older and she was moving pretty good then. And she was like a stealth bomber in the woods and she'd come up on bedded deer. I mean, she, she, she just, she's so graceful and yep. she moves so well. 
she'd come up on deer that were bedded in ferns and the deer would get up and run and she she barks when she gets on an off game she'll yep 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 so <laughs> i knew i knew when it was a deer i knew if it was a rabbit and but i was running into this issue with deer and i i really got concerned about it because i was thinking how in the hell am i going to stop this and so i ended up um i bought a i bought a gps and i put it on her and i bought i bought the garm i bought a garmin um just a, I think it's Alpha Ten. I think it's called. So I didn't oh, yeah. want to. I don't want to go in the woods and look at a screen. That's the yeah. last thing I want. So I use my map on my phone. Like I'll use Onyx on my phone quite often. Mm-hmm. That's enough technology for me. So I didn't want to be watching a, a anything on a on a dog training device. So I bought this little Alpha thing that that points and it tells you how, it, you know it points a direction and it tells you how many, how far away she is. So I did that and I I took her into the woods. And I, my fear was, am I going to have, because every person I talked with that I said, you know, she's, she's kind of getting on off game and running and she liked it. I mean, she'd come back minutes later, just, I felt like hours later, but it was probably minutes, but, (laughs) and she's exhausted and she's just like, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, what did you see? You know, I'd just love to have a GoPro on her at that point. But so, so I, you know, she'd come back and I was just sick about it. And I, every person I talked to said, and this is where I'm battling in my inside of me going, can I let her do that? Should I let her do that? How do I not let her do that? You know, what, what are my choices here? And everybody, you know, the answer was put her on a collar and knock the shit out of her, you know, really light her up when she gets, and she will stop doing that. And I thought that's probably true, but that's not how I do it. And mm-hmm. I, I, I was like, man, you know how risky that kind of sounds to me too? Like, I don't know what's going on out there. And so I'm going to start putting electricity to her at a distance. No, I'm not going to do that. So, so first I bought this, this collar and, and the first time I took her out with it, I put her on it and, you know, I went and we were training and it was training season and there were birds and I'm looking, you know, we're kind of scouting that at the same time and we're training the dog and all that. And she got on a deer and, and I knew it with the yips. And I, I had the ability to, I could have, I could have shocked her. Right. You know, I, I could push that button. I, she had the, she had prongs like this collar I bought actually was a training collar too. So you could put stimulation to it. And I, I thought to myself, no, I'm not going to do it. it. But I, but I looked at that little handheld thing and I watched yep. the yardage and I saw the number just kept going, you know, 80, a hundred, one fifties, 175. And I'm sitting there going, holy shit. And, <laughs> But I, it got to like 200, yep. two, 220 maybe. And all of a sudden, it's 180, 160, 140. And I'm sitting here going, well, she's coming back. And she came back, and she looked the exact same that she had looked the dozens of times before, mm-hmm. exhausted. And I said, to, and I realized to myself, my God, she's been gone less than three minutes. Felt like 30. It was three. Felt like a thousand yards. It was two hundred, and so all of a sudden I put it in my head and I went, you know what? She's not really doing that. I, I don't mind her at two hundred yards. Yeah. Like I got, I had gotten to this comfort level of actually seeing her on the GPS and realizing at two hundred yards, it's not terrible. That's fine. No, she's I, I don't, to I you pref- in fifteen seconds if she wants. Yeah. To. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I started to get an understanding of her cadence. Like I understand, I started to understand her route, like the path she would take and, and the timing of checking in and, 
And so it started, it was all this idea of me just getting a little bit more comfortable with the whole big thing and taking a breath and going, it's really not that bad. And Mm -hmm. what I, when I, when I looked down and she came back, I had this moment and I'm, I'm not a, I, I'm not like, I, I have faith. I have a strong faith and I think it's very important, but like, I'm not like, I can't recite Bible stuff to you. Right. So, but yeah. I have these moments in the woods, especially in the woods where I get kind of connected with God, I think. And I thought to myself, God, man, if I had listened to everybody, I'd have, I'd have smoked that little dog at a probably 130 yards. Mm-hmm. And, and would it have been connected to the idea of chasing the deer? Perhaps, maybe. But I looked down at her and I felt her collar and I realized one of those prongs was off. Like it had spun it, it had spun itself off. So I, yeah. I just, I just felt so silly at that point. And I thought, man, that's you telling me you don't need that. I really felt like he was saying to me, you didn't do it. You didn't do it on purpose. You learned from that and you couldn't have done it even if you wanted to. And I feel like yeah. it was almost like a, you know, hey, if you believe in something, believe in it. And that's where it's like, to me, a setter, a pointing dog in general, but it, for me it, personally, it's a setter, is the, is a very big t- test of my faith. Like it really, you have to trust that dog. You have to get to a point where you truly trust them. And it's easy to say, yeah, you got to trust them. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when you're tested. And like, I think that we, for myself anyway, have been tested in ways of how much do you really believe in what you're saying? You, you're going to, and, and this was, that was a real big moment for me where I sat there and I, and then I kind of smiled and then I kind of laughed and then you look up and the sun's coming through the woods just right. And you go, Oh, there it is. There's one of those little moments, you know? So, but those, those are things that I've had a whole bunch of those moments with this dog in a relatively short, short period of time. But um, yeah, it's, it's, the for me the 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 concern with developing a, a, a well behaved dog is and and still having a good bird hunting you know experience with them uh I don't worry about that I don't worry about that at all but man isn't that the beauty of the GPS collar though the the information I yeah. mean it's it's more for the amateur handler than than it is the dog right like it's right. just totally. just knowing watching that yardage go out and then start to come back to turn off the decision-making in your mind to say, Oh my gosh, I got to do something because my precious dog is beelining it for no, actually the dog is coming back to you. Chill out, relax. I mean, that's, that's been the biggest thing for me. And, and I was, I was way more apprehensive with, with Hartley, the first dog with Rose way more hands off because I'd been through it. I'd used Mm -hmm. the Garmin GPS collar for years and man, it's, it's just that is such a such a valuable tool just knowing having that information it's not the yeah. it's not the training capability built or built in there the the e collar technology it's the tracking technology yeah. That, yeah, that's I, it i it was a, the the greatest peace of mind and it wasn't this idea of like i think people say peace of mind with yeah. for all the reasons to have collars and all that for me, the, when I say the peace of mind, it was like you just said, it was just having the information that I could, that I didn't have otherwise. And, and for me with, with this first one, I needed that. And I, I needed it. The, you know, I, some people will probably wonder, well, how do you get the dog to stop chasing deer? Well, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. I put a bell on her. 
I just put a bell on her. And, and people go, what? And I, I wrote, I wrote that because I wrote a little, I wrote yeah, a I, column about I read that. Yeah. I wrote this whole, for one season, um, I, I captured basically the first year and did like six issues. And it was just the progression kind of, I made no, made notes of milestones of, of training. And that was, and I thought the value, I hoped the value that came from it was me trying to write it as like a first, first time person. I think it relates to people probably. I mean, it, those, those things in, in Gundog, the, you know, column, especially because it's limited with space. You can only write, you know, you only got so many words and the information in there isn't necessarily written directed towards a professional. It's, it's directed towards people like me who are training their first, you know, bird dog. So, so that was hope. That was the hope in that. But I, when I, when I, and I wrote about the idea of how I got her to stop chasing game was don't put her in position to chase game. And the way I did that was I put a bell on her when she went through the woods and all of a sudden the, the stealth bomber became a, a loud diesel pickup truck. Like she made noise going through the woods mm-hmm. and, and, and game got out of the way and she's not going to track. Like she's not picking up, she's not chasing based on track. So you're not, she's not using scent to, to follow these deer because I know she smells them. It was the stimulation of prey drive in her. When she saw something flee, she chased. Yeah. So I, I picked, you know, that, that was real clear to me. And my, my simple fix to it was that. And I know some people say, well, that's not, that's not foolproof. No, it's not. No. But, I haven't had an issue, but I haven't had an issue with it. And I haven't had to put her into any situation that I wasn't comfortable with. And so when, when it comes to the training part. So, so for me, that was a really easy way. But now I, I, I combine that with the idea of, well, I can actually see the yardage. I do see the function for some, if they're, especially if they're hunting without a bell. Um, you know, if I didn't hunt with a bell, I don't know, I don't know how you'd find them half the time. You'd really have to get dialed into that dog and you'd have to have a dog that could, that, that didn't hunt the way I want them to hunt. Like I want them to run a little bit bigger. That's, that's my personal preference. And so I could do it with a dog that was probably a lot closer working and I probably would enjoy that because I think, boy, that's an intimate hunt. That's a real intimate relation with that dog. I like the intimacy and connection with the dog at the distance. And so I make a point of not, not trying my best to not look at the, my handheld, um, which is where the bell was dual fold for me. There was nothing better for me than when I, and I don't know why I took so long to do it. Quite honestly, (laughs) I, I, I feel like I didn't know that there was really a reason to, I wasn't really losing her. She wasn't really getting out that far. I just didn't really feel like I needed it. And then all of a sudden one day she took that step and she decided I'm going to, I'm going to put a little more out there. And once you get to a certain point, I don't know where you are. I don't know how far you are. And all of a sudden you pop up over here and I go, where were you in between there? So now when I did put the bell on with the intentions of fixing, trying to fix off game issues, I fell in love with the idea of following a bell. There's nothing better to me than that sound. I I absolutely love it. And it tells me personally, I think it tells me more than my GPS. Like I get way more information out of it. And and I love the feel of, man, they did that a hundred years ago too. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like, I kind of like 
I, I'm a little old fashioned in that way. <laughs> and I mean, I still like going to supper clubs, right? So it's, it's, it's this, it's this mindset thing of doing it that old way and doing it, you know, doing it without a collar for me. I really enjoy that. I really, really like that. Yeah. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Well, I read your comments on the bell, and I did want to touch on that because, I I mean, I would agree on every facet there. It's, I think there's an idea, there's sometimes an idea like, oh, I have a GPS collar. I don't need a bell. You know, that you, there's kind of that built-in right. thing. But once you do it and, and sort of, exp- if you've never tried a bell, try it. In the grouse woods specifically, I think that's where mm-hmm. it really applies. But when I go out west of the prairie, I don't run a bell on my dogs. It's just, you don't mm-hmm. need it in the same way. But the visual map that the bell paints in your mind to know that my dog is to my left, my dog is to my right versus when they're running quiet. I mean, I, I know you've had it happen. I've had it happen. Friends, dog. I always have a bell on my dogs. I hunt with dogs that don't have a bell. You see them over here, and the next time you see them, they're on the other side, and you had no idea right, that they right. that they crossed over in front of you. I there's a safety element there. I mean, do it how you want to do it, but I value the real time feedback that I get from the bell much more so than I would any sort of quiet or silence. And 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 again, mm-hmm. you can play around with bells. You can run loud ones, quiet ones. I run pretty soft mm-hmm. bells, so they're not uh, they're not super aggressive. But and and especially when a dog is close you hear that bell stop instantly. So, you know, if you've got a close point, whereas you're, there's a little delay with the GPS. I mean, those things, those things play in, it's not necessarily a, a decision maker one way or the other, but when you look at the entire picture of what a bell brings to the hunt for me, I mean, there's no other way to do it really. Yeah. The, when you say how you can hear it when it stops, you also can tell when they stop just to check in because it's slowing down. Yeah. Cause it sounds different. And I, I think that, when you start looking at like all training, I, I think training is such a thing where you can, the deeper you get into it, the further you go with it, the more you pay attention to really small details. But like, couldn't you say that about everything? And so the idea of like the bell, I, I love two bells. I love it when there's like these cover dog trials, you're running, a, you know, you're running braces of two dogs and there's a whole, there's, I, I, it doesn't even have to be my dog. I could just be walking the brace and kind of observing. And grouse trials are not a spectator sport. You don't see, sh- you don't see shit. Like it's terrible. You don't, but it's all audible. And so I don't have to be in front necessarily because I'm not missing much anyway. But when you start hearing two, du- two different bells and then you're starting to pay attention to 
the different bell takes a different pattern and that dog pushes this and does that, this, you start to understand, like, you know how it is. You, you, you walk woods, especially woods that, you know, you know, where there's areas that are better than others Mm -hmm. and you know, when you're coming up on them and you, you start to like, you, 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 you got the routine, you memorize the routine because you've done it so many times and you know what to expect. When you hear the bell, I actually made prog. I felt like I understood the progress of my dog a little bit as we continued because I'd hear the bell go into an area and I knew what that area was. Like the bell moved over to here and it drifted and now it's over here. And I go, there's a swamp over there. There's yeah. an edge right there. And, and it hangs up and it stays there for a while. And I'm going, man, my dog's doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I also could say she's over here and there's a pine forest or something that she's, there's no reason for her to be in it. Why is she over here? And I go, because I know that woods and I know that bell and I know that she's fooling around in there. So that might get me on my whistle, the beep, beep. And now all of a sudden I hear the bell and I go, oh, she responded right to that little peep. Yep. And so it's just a, it's an extension of us, I think, as handlers, um, as much or more than it is just a tool, you know, like it, it, I just, it gets me excited. I mean, I get kind of pumped talking about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And it's like you said, even if you call the dog, the bell is going to tell you that, that the dog is responding immediately or not responding. You know, it's, it's hands, it's hands free. It's eyes free. It allows Mm -hmm. you to look at the GPS screen, whether it's your handheld or on your watch, like I run allows you to look at that less. I really, really value that. And Mm -hmm. obviously you do too. Isn't it part of the fall? I mean, it doesn't, it kind of, it's like one of those things where you smell, you you smell certain things, decaying aspen leaves smell a very certain way. It only happens for a short window of time. So like, the bell is also this sensory thing for me of enjoyment. When you start talking about why do we grouse hunt? Well, it's all these things. And that's one of them. Like it's the sound. That sound is like, it's awesome. I, I don't know if you, I, I put up a little clip on Instagram last week of a, of a hunt with Hartley. And I mean, I can play that clip and I just hear his Dude, bell. Juice is flowing. Yep. Yeah, man. That's, it's, uh, I know. it definitely brings you to the moment. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's, that's another, that's, you know, that's something that I don't, my labs, I don't run, you know, I never have, I never, I've never run a bell. This is the first time I've ever run a dog on a bell and I wouldn't need to on with them because I don't really Mm -hmm. lose, lose the vision of them. But this is, this is something that's, you know, it adds to it for me. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, there may very well be something in the water down at Northwoods bird dogs, because your comments about the connectedness that you feel with Makina, uh, I would echo those when I, the confidence and the trust that I have in my dogs to stay with me as I really independently move through the wood. It's amazing. I, I almost, if I stop and think about it, how do they stay with me so well when I'm really not consciously focusing on them? And I'm just, I'm going through the cover the way I want to go through the cover where I think there's birds. And, you know, like you said, some places we've been to before, and it's amazing how quickly they put those pieces together and figure out the spots they found birds last time. But yeah. even in new spots, the, their, their ability to stay with you and, and be connected to you is it's incredible. Yes. And I, I think you're right. And I think the Northwoods dogs, that is, that's one of the reasons I get them. I, I will say too, though, so this is the benefit of the field trial, the limited field trial experience that I've seen. And, and when I say field trial, cover dog stuff, I, I, it has become so clear to me 
that's one of the greatest benefits of me going to these and spending time around them and the people and helping as much as I can with them to, I'm really kind of, I'm gaining, I'm gaining so much from it. And what I, what you see is you see a wide spectrum of dogs and mm-hmm. handlers from all sorts of breedings, all sorts of styles, also, I mean, a variety of breeds even in all sorts of handling. And you really start to pick out it. It's not hard to pick out those that stand out in certain ways. And, and it's not just a Northwoods dog. There are certain breedings of, of other kennels that I can, I, I've only, I've only watched for, I've watched them for about a year and a half now. Yeah. Uh, This will be my second year, but I can pick out dogs and the way they move and the way they act and the way they work with people and go, I'll ask, or I'll look at the brochure because I want to make a little note of where'd that Mm -hmm. dog come from? Who's that dog out of? Because they, they, some dogs really have it. And then some dogs you look at and you go, okay, I see the breeding. I I know where, and then you watch it and you go, there's none of that. Well, it's missing with the handler. So a lot of times it's just missing with the handler dog. And so it's the balance. It's, it is the balancing act of, you know, it's not all genetic. It's not all handler. And I don't care how good you are. You have to have, whether you're on the dog's end or the handler's end, you have to have both sides in this. And that to me is like, Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's, it really, it really is. um, It's cool to watch because it, it, you don't have to pay attention too deep and too long for stuff to stand out. Yeah. When it it comes to that stuff. So something else I wanted to, at least go through a little bit before we wrap up here was I was reading one of your columns in that at some point in the last year in gun dog. And you were talking about, I think it was Makina's first hunt. And I think if I recall this correctly, you had her on the ground with your labs and mm-hmm. she was off in the distance and, and you, you took a shot at a grouse that your lab flushed. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you bagged <laughs> or not, but you were, sort of alluding to this idea like oh you know be careful shooting wild flush birds and all this stuff that i've you know again gone through and i'm just kind of curious as to like what your your thought process was there and i kind of have an idea of of what the end result was which is about nothing but yeah yeah the so yeah i i went through all of these and and i think there's so many of these scenes and wives tales and and things Mm -hmm. that are you know you know never let your dog Never let your dog catch a pigeon, right? I mean, we've heard that. Don't let him catch a bird on the ground. And and when she was young, I put a bird out and she caught it. <laughs> she pointed it for a split second. She caught it. She killed it. She carried it off. She ran away with it. Then she finally brought it back to me. And like, and I was devastated by it because I realized at that point I wrecked my dog. I knew I had totally screwed this thing up because everything I had heard said that. And, and then I was afraid to tell anybody about it. I went over and I saw Jerry, we worked our dogs. He, he helped me immensely with confidence in, in just being able to kind of move past some of those things that I was hung. He didn't even know about it, but at the end of that day, I felt pretty good because he had helped me set me up to succeed here with, with her and some Mm. planted birds and we're sitting at the truck and I told him about that bird. And I said, Hey, I got to be honest with you. I, I, she caught a pigeon, you know, and he looked at me 
she didn't even react and kind of <laughs> smiled. And I go, no, I mean, like she caught it and killed it and like ran off with it and brought it back. And he goes, huh, might've been the best thing that ever happened to her. And I, I, I thought I, I was floored. And I, I said, what, what, what do you mean? And he goes, that could have been, you know, I don't, I wouldn't have a problem with that. That might've been the best thing. Might've really started to fire up a little bit. That's mm-hmm. not the worst thing in the world. And I said, well, not, that's not what everyone says. And he goes, you can't be, you gotta, you gotta realize like that. It's not all set in stone, right? So now with these, that was one example. Now that first, I, I took her her first hunt and my nephew was with actually. And we, I had my labs with and we were, were working and I, it was the first, it was the first weekend and I'm a little, you know, I'm a little bit excited. I want to, I want to shoot bird, you know? And, yes. and, and so I'm a hunter and, and we went and we worked and, the first bird actually that, that I shot that day, um, she was nowhere around it. You know, she was off and she was off hunting. She had no idea it happened. The bird flushed on the trail, uh, right in front of us, flew down the trail. I shot it. My dog ran out, picked it up, brought it back. And I was pumped because I, oh, we got a bird, you know? And, but then I started thinking about it and going, oh, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be here with this <laughs> setter and all this stuff. And I had just coming off of weeks and weeks and weeks of running this dog in the woods and walking up on points and stuff. And, really kind of got into that preseason training and was excited about how I'm going to transition it into hunting. And so that was the first bird. Later that day, we're going down a different trail and she kind of got birdie and she kind of went on point a little bit and it was not, not nothing solid. And then all of a sudden a bird flushed to my left and flew across these raspberries and I shot and it went down and my dog went and retrieved it and brought it back to me. And I got two, I got two grouse on opening day and I'm, my nephew hadn't got a shot off yet. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, holy shit, am I feeling guilty? Because not only did my nephew not get a shot, I really should be working on getting him something. But I'm sure I just shot the first two grouse at an opportunity yet. And my setter, who I'm really excited about hunting with this year, hasn't had a chance to point any of them. And there's two less of them right now. And so I had this little moment where I said, how committed are you to this? You know, and it was really a, uh, and it wasn't like it was, I, I realized we had a long season ahead of us and everything, but it really, I really did have to think about it and go, do you want to, what do you want to do? Do you just want to shoot birds? Cause if you want to just shoot birds, you could do that. But I don't think that's going to be necessarily the best route to developing her the way I really had intentions to, but now you're in the moment. So it's really easy to say that in June and July and, and in the spring, when you're running mm-hmm. them on, you know, it's very easy to see that, say that in the spring. But now you got a gun in your hand. And I love eating them. And I love everything about it. I love holding them. I love plucking them. I love hanging their little fans on my, in my hunting room. Yep. I like all yep. that stuff. But I had to say, you know, how committed are you? And this goes back to, this kind of goes back to this idea of like, there's a true test at times. Dogs test us. Are, are they, they've, we find out very quickly if we're full of shit or not because they're going to put you in positions and you have to make decisions. And at that, after that, I, I sat around the campfire that night, I cleaned those birds and, and I said, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, I'm not, not intentionally. And so, and it was intentional (laughs) that first day I wanted to shoot those birds. And so I did, and I got that out of my system and I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but I, I did have to at a point say, and that was the point for me how, how serious are you? And that was where I was. Okay, well, I'm going to hold out. I'm going to wait. If the dog, 
If a bird flushes, I'm not going to shoot at it. And that's not to like sound like some big grouse hunter. I, it killed, it would kill me, yeah. you know, to miss an out. Cause I don't have that many opportunities and I don't shoot that many birds, but it had to be, it, it, to me, it was the, the reward or the value of it was greater. Um, and, and, and that's how I kind of did it the rest of the season. And it didn't take long. I mean, we, we had, you know, the next weekend, um, and this was in September, you know, this is when it was really thick and everything. And, yeah. and she was doing great. And, um, I've shot a pointed, I shot a pointed grouse over her the next weekend. And okay. I was just like, and I was like, Oh, so mind blown. It was like catching a fly on uh, catching a trout on a fly for the first time. I mean, I haven't caught a lot of them that way, but the, I'll never forget the first one. And, and the, the, the difference in catching a trout on a fly versus a trout on a spinner or, or you know, with a spinning rod, yep. it's, it's the same trout, but it really feels different and, and it feels so good. And I was like, wow, this is, and I was almost, I almost had to pinch myself a little bit too, because going into the season, I had this goal in mind and my goal was shoot a pointed grouse, like shoot one good pointed grouse. Like it's gotta be good. And here I am second week, it's still September and I did it. And I go, well, what the hell now? Well, that set me up because then I was like, man, I'm going to expect this every weekend. And we went through, we went through a lot of ups and downs. We had some really good stuff, but boy, we had some miserable things too, as far as like performance. Yeah. But it was all part of it. And I, I wouldn't, you know, I don't, I can't, I can't wait to do it again with another dog, but here I am, I'm going into my second season and now we're trying to steady, you know, we're taking the chase away a little bit and this has been fun and this has been exciting to do. And it's going to take another, you know, another level of commitment. Once hunting season starts, once I go into the woods, how committed am I going to be to saying you can't chase? Because it could be really easy to uh, kind of let that slip a little bit. And then I'll have a little gut check with, you know, a little talk with myself and say, well, and that that's all stuff that everybody I think goes through. Yep. Um, and I don't think there's a wrong way of doing it. I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying the way I did it is right. Maybe, maybe it isn't. It, a lot of times it isn't. And, and that's okay. Cause I just uh, posted something about the process of this breaking. People call it breaking dogs. And I, I hate the idea of breaking dogs. I, I just think it take, carries a, a bad mindset going into it. Right. So yeah, words, words mean different things in different, you know, versus saying something like steady, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, so I do try to like, I try to try to, I I think about a lot of that stuff. So with, as I'm going into this, I, I have found that oftentimes the mistakes or the, the, the struggles, the challenges, the things that don't go so well are, are, mostly because of me almost always i maybe could say always because of me and they're not bad they're actually probably the best thing that can happen most of the time is but only if you learn from it only if you change only if you do something different and that takes a again that takes a different a different you have to look at it differently um instead of because i'm guilty of like getting frustrated at times with the things that aren't going so well and if and when I'm ready to take a look at it and go, instead of being frustrated, get through that part. I, it, we all go through it differently. I get through that frustration and, and hopefully I'm doing it a little bit quicker these days, but, and then realize, all right, now I have to kind of break it down and, and try to understand why, and then change it. 
and try it again and change it and try it again. And then the more you do it, the less change you got to do, the less, the less adjustments need to be made. You find, you kind of dial in a little bit. That'll take, that'll just take time for me. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's some great little nuggets in there just, you know, again, when you're, when you're newer to something, you know, whether it's your first pointing dog or any number of other things, like the highs feel high and the lows feel low. Right. right. But it's, you, you get a little more perspective and you realize like you got a young dog still, you're going to have ups mm-hmm. and downs and less consistency. The importance is to kind of as much as you can sort of maintain your composure and not get too high on the highs and not get too low on the lows just like yeah. things are going to work itself out. And you've been like, you know, in all of our conversation on both of these, like that's real consistent, like, patience is one thing that it, it comes yeah. up because again with patience comes perspective and with perspective comes just a much better ability to see what's see what's going on and and some things you just got to learn you just got to go through right. it and and learn it the hard way and and we usually learn those lessons pretty well yeah most things i think you know that's one thing that jerry one thing that jerry coulter has has and jerry hobble too jerry i went by jerry this spring yeah. and and saw him and I picked up different stuff from him and I, I, the more people you can find yourself around like those guys, the better you're going to be. But like, I feel like, and I wrote about this recently for the, for the Jerry Coulter column, it's his level of consistency as far as how he handles things. You don't know if it, you don't know if the, when you watch him work a dog, you don't know if the dog's doing great or Mm -hmm. the dog is doing poor because he doesn't change much. And, and, the, that's a real stable leader. Like that, when you start talking about mechanics of a dog and a pack mentality and all that, it's a really stable leader. And people f- have a tendency to follow p- stability. Like they, they, things like stability. So, it, myself included. And so, with him, I watch this. I watch this levelness, and I recognize, and it makes me think about how come. Well years and years of experience i don't get too worked up with a labrador i mean we can have a good session or a bad session and i don't think too much of it because i'm thinking about more so what will we do next time because we i'm going to learn from this one i'm going to take the good stuff and move on i'm going to figure out the stuff that we struggled with and change it a little bit and we'll 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 go back and fix that or work on that a little bit the next session so i'm i'm just thinking about that and i'm i'm pretty level with that but when it comes to the setter I, I when i have a bad session I'm, oh boy what what, what now what you know almost yeah. pa- not not quite panic but pretty freaking close at times getting closer <laughs> yeah and and with him it's like he's seen it all he's not worried about like when when the if if the dog catches the pigeon for him he may look at that and go he might hell he might set it up intentionally to catch the pigeon for all i know because he goes this dog needs that that dog needed the dog was a little flat that dog needed to needed to get a bird in its mouth so, but here I am going, I might've just wrecked my dog and, and, he, but he, he is, is just, he's got a, a, a levelness about his personality that I think is very important for trainers to have. And it allows, it allows them to get through things and enjoy it a lot more. And yeah. why not, why do this if you don't enjoy it? If I didn't like training dogs, I wouldn't be very good at it. Because why would I want it? You got to. And so the more, the better it goes, the smoother it goes, the more you enjoy it, the more you enjoy it, the more you do it. It's a very snowball effect. Mm-hmm. And, but you can't, you can't just purchase experience. Like I can't go to the store and get it. 
Yeah. And so that'll just take a while. And, um, I do think there's value. My hope with it is there's value in sharing like this conversation, you and I, this probably isn't going to teach a pro much. Like you're no. not going to get a whole lot out of this. They're probably going to shake their other head. Than, like, other than other than what, what guys like you and I are thinking, you know, like where, yeah, yeah, where are we stumbling? Right. <laughs> right, right, right. And so there's not, there's not a whole lot of, there's probably not a whole lot of value in it for them. But for me, if I had listened to this conversation prior to getting her or not having much, you know, maybe one or two setters and not, not that into it, I think it would be important to hear this. And you're not going to hear Jerry Coulter in an interview with you talk about this stuff because this stuff is off of his radar 30 years ago. He's going to, he, and your questions to him aren't going to be that way. Like, mm-hmm. and so there's a little bit of a missing, there's a little bit of a missing um, element that ties it all together. And I, I hope that with some of our, our, with some of the stuff that we're trying to do through, through our social media, through our training library, through our content stuff, because if you, if you peel off the layers, the bird dog part is the part that I go, Ooh, man, I'm wading through really unfamiliar waters here. And I'm probably real relatable to some people. If you want to talk about like teach your dog to come to you when you call him and have him healed and do some of this foundation stuff, you can watch a, a video of ours that we do these workshops where there's 17 different breeds from all across the country and has nothing to do with Labradors, has nothing to do with comfort of training retrievers. It's a dog is a dog and the foundation, it's called a foundation workshop. The foundation is the same, doesn't vary that greatly. And so that stuff is a very different ball of wax for me than this idea of steadying a dog to the wing and shot like holy man google that and you're going to see a lot of pros show you how to do it but none of them are going to tell you the stories i got none of them are going to share (laughs) none of them are going to show you the video of my dog because just recently i took this from jerry hovel's place because they do this they do this setup with a bird where it represent replicates kind of a crippled bird which is trying to lure their dog away from yeah for the woodcock banding stuff yeah so they're they're tethering off this bird so the bird comes out of the launcher, hits the ground, flops around, gets up, reflushes, and the dog's going to be steady through that. So that's very different than just launching a bird out of the out of the launcher and having it fly away. I got no problem with that. I'm we're we're there. Well, mm-hmm. some people would watch that video that I bring the dog in, she points, I kick around, flush the bird, she goes off, I shoot the gun. She's finally she's I'm not even getting her feet to move. Like she's she's really doing a nice job with that. And a lot of people would say, "Oh, you got her broke," you know. Not even close because the first time I did this little bird that comes up and hits the ground, she went in like a missile and to, to, to catch that pigeon. And it happened like three, four times in a row. And I'm sitting here with my phone and I'm filming it. Now I haven't posted any of that stuff yet. I will because that's the stuff you will not see. I can't find anybody on YouTube showing that stuff. I see the stuff that we're doing good. And I start to think to myself, oh, I must have it. No, we don't have it. And it's going to remind, I'm going to be reminded of it at the absolute worst time. So you, I hope that some of the stuff that we're showing is there's a a value of transparency, I think, in stuff. It puts a little bit of risk on our part because I look like I don't know what I'm doing. And I, and I, the beauty of it for me is I'll just tell you, I don't know what I'm doing. And then it doesn't really bother me that much. So Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing but I'm figuring it out. And I think that you combine that with the guys that have shown 
the more polished version of it. That's hopefully somewhere in the middle of nothing and finish somewhere in the middle is where, where we hope to be. But yeah. once again, like I don't like to be on extremes one way or the other, you know, I'm always trying to get in that middle. Yeah. No, I, pre- I appreciate that. And you know, it's one of those things that I, I've throughout this whole me doing this podcast, I've always, it's been a constant thing where I've always wanted to have people with lots of experience on the show and people with little experience, because it's a common thing in learning where, you know, how much can I actually absorb in a given session with somebody like Jerry Coulter, who's got decades of experience. Whereas my questions might, I might be better off talking to somebody who's two, three years down the line and talk to them both, right? Like, right. like you right. can learn from them both, but having conversations from people at sort of different points on the spectrum or the timeline can be really helpful and valuable. And that's where, where a conversation like this comes in. And, and I, I mean, I think like right now, 2023 with all of the different content, channels and things we have we have all the information we could ever hope to have it's helpful to have people's transparency is very valuable yeah. like like you said it's it's hey i don't know exactly what i'm doing but here's what i'm trying to do and when this happens here's how i'm trying to fix it that's how that's how i learn at least i i value that sort of thing if i'm watching a youtube video or learning something so i don't necessarily care what your resume is, but what are you trying to do? And then what are we, what are we doing to address the problem when something goes wrong? Right. And I, I want to be super clear with that. Like I, uh, and that's, that is something that, you know, I, I don't claim, I won't claim to be an expert at any of this stuff because I, and that's the beauty of, that's the beauty of spending time around a variety of people. I've, I've talked to some people that have not done some of these things very long and you would swear they know everything because they tell because they tell you they know everything. They've done it all. They've seen it all. And I just I've probably said the same shit ten years ago. <laughs> and I kick myself, going, "Man, yeah. I hope you didn't sound like that." But as as I get the more I the, the further I get down the road, the more I'm realizing how very little I know and how much more there is to learn and how I'm going to learn it is doing it. And you know I. Jerry is a great, we talk a lot about Jerry because <laughs> it's, you know what, deservingly so, right? And, and so with him, I have also picked up this idea of, I don't know a guy that is more hungry to learn than him. It sounds crazy. Yeah. He, he has asked me questions about stuff that I cannot understand why he asked them to me. And one day I wrote this, I wrote about this too. Because early on, you know, it's like your kind of your first date. You're not real comfortable, right? Like you're kind of feeling each other out a little bit. Sure. And so the first time, the first few times, I'm trying to not. I, I'm trying to watch, you know, what I say, and I'm not. We're just. I'm just not as comfortable. I'm way more comfortable talking to you this time than I was last time. I don't know if you can tell, but I am. And so when I first started going to see him and, and work with him a little bit. It was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. It was awkward. And he would ask me questions about stuff. I'd tell him something about what I'm doing. How come? Why? You know, he'd, he kind of drilled me a little bit and I was intimidated as hell. And he very quickly, he read that. And he, I, he did say to me, I'm not asking you like to challenge you. I'm curious in why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me why you're doing it. Because he said, I, I hear people say shit all the time. It doesn't matter to me what they say. I want to know why. And so I've, I, he, so I like 
I'll steal that one. There's we talked last time about the barnacles. That's a barnacle that stuck. Oh yeah. So now yeah. like I'm asking questions. So he his the the reason the the way he approaches everything and the amount of information he's digesting and all this stuff that he is he is the he is very much a lifelong learner and when it comes to dogs which is clearly his his passion he just wants to keep learning more about it and i'm going to myself if he feels like he needs to learn more there is never there's nobody else out there that doesn't need to so I think it's a little bit of a red flag for me when I, when I find those. And I, I enjoy hearing people tell me how, sometimes how much they know and all that stuff because I take it with a bit of a grain of salt and it's a little bit of a, you know, okay, I need, I, I need to learn from that, you know. And, like, and I think we all could probably think back in our minds a little bit and be like, oh, I remember a conversation with so-and-so and that I know what he's saying. Yeah. It's out there. It's out there. And it's like, boy, I, did, I feel so strongly about it now. It's like don't don't do that. Don't be that guy, you know, cause that, that's not who you, who you're after. Be yeah. follow, you know, follow the Jerry's Jerry Havel has a great, I learn a lot from him and I laugh <laughs> at him and he's hilarious and he, but he's, but then he'll break it down all of a sudden real serious on something. And I'll go, how did I miss that? You know, and like good, better, best. That was the thing I took away from him was like, good, better, good, better, best, good, better, best. And he just kept <laughs> I saying, can hear it, him then, saying it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love it. I say it to myself all the time. I think about it going into training. And it's like the beauty of it too, Nick, is that there's guys like that out there that are willing to and want to, I think, share yeah. it. And it's like, man, what a gift. What a what a what an awesome thing to be able to share. So I I um that's that's where I'm at with it. It's like, man, just keep learning stuff. Yeah. No doubt, man. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, and the two Jerry's that came up numerous times in this episode are, they're both, uh, friends of mine. And so I absolutely, uh, would agree with the sentiment that they've, I've learned a lot from both of those guys and, and hope to continue to do so. So we'll leave it there, but you do have some videos and stuff with Makina. What kind of, just like real briefly, we're going to wrap up here, but like what sort of topics, what sort of things, if folks want to go see, see what you're doing with Makina on the YouTube channel, what are they going to find? We recorded everything from the, from when I picked her up at eight weeks old until now we recorded it all. So like it's, it's sessions, um, it's training sessions. It's, we documented that first year basically was through her hunt, first hunting season. And it actually includes hunting. Like we, we brought cool. a camera in the woods last year. So that, that's on YouTube. The hard part about YouTube is, is it's so challenging to watch a series like that because it just doesn't present itself very easily. And so, and the, the actual sheer amount of hours is great. It's a lot of hours. So what our guys did, Ben and, and Logan, they took that season, basically season one, and they re-edited it. They combined like multiple, like a series of videos that were about foundation. They, they trimmed out the shit you really don't need to see because it was just so candid. They Summary trimmed out that video. stuff. Yeah, and they created a, 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 a more, a better package and a lot easier to follow along. So those are not that version is in what we call our training library, which is like a subscription thing on our website. Okay. And then, so that's where season one is and that's where season two is going. So all of our season two is being edited that way instead of the way we did it on YouTube. You can still watch it on YouTube season one. It's just, it's just a lot. It's there's, there's, I don't know, probably 40 hours of it total, Wow. but it's covering from like eight weeks old to 
through November, which was, you know, that first season in the woods for her. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about the way we're doing it now. I just think it's a lot more effective for people to get value out of it. And that, that, and then it's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that training library has right now. I think we're up to 127 hours of video on it and we add to it weekly. So Makina series gets added to on it. Uh, I've got two, two lab puppies that we're training right now. Those are going to get started to get added to it. Um, it's got all of our DVD. We have like training DVDs. That's all included in it. So the library just has a whole bunch of, whole bunch of information ranging from obedience to track blood tracking dogs and everything in between. So, wow. um, that's, that's where, that's where you'll probably find, but YouTube, you, dog bone hunters are YouTube and that's where that original Makina is as well. Yeah. Cool. For the training library, if somebody was dog bone hunter.com, find yep. it there. Yep. Yeah. Right on our first page there, you can, you it'll make you pick. You're either going to go to products or you're going to go to information. It's called the training library. Cool. All right, buddy. Well, hey, thanks for taking some time to come back on the Birdshot Podcast and talk a little bit more English setters and grouse hunting. Yeah. This was this was fun as always, and just keep in touch, man. We uh, we could we could always find an excuse to meet up again in a couple months or so in the grouse. I would woods. I would say it probably makes a lot of sense to do it. So <laughs> we'll, we'll 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 do that for sure. Awesome, buddy. Well, you have a great rest of your summer. You and the dogs keep conditioning, and fall is just around the corner, my friend. Thank you. Same to you guys. Take care. Take care, man. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.